Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to continue our study through the gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 1, as well as you're going to need to be in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Mark chapter 1. Now, I want to remind you that Calvary Chapel began many years ago with a man by the name of Pastor Chuck Smith. And if you remember, there under the tent, it was a bunch of hippies that decided to give glory to God with their lives and literally change the world. Well, Pastor Chuck would always allow that young talent to use their gifts and skills and have a special song or special music. And we've got a lot of young, talented people here at Calvary Chapel South South Bay, such as Phil. And so we will be using a period of uh, some time during our service uh, every once in a while to allow them to be able to minister to us in song. And so I'm excited about that as we continue the legacy of this ministry. As well, um, I don't know if you noticed, but Pastor Brandon was on the drums. Now, he did not know he was going to be on the drums this morning. Our drummer got sick, and he rocked it on the drums. So not only is he getting ready to start teaching at Disciple Life, he's also rocking it on our drums. So let's give Pastor Brandon a big round of applause as well. So Luke chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, let's go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts. Father, we are so thankful for the great grace of God and so thankful for how you use your word by the power of your Holy Spirit to change our lives. And at 12.30 in the afternoon, on a beautiful Sunday afternoon, there are many that have gathered here or online to hear your word. So I pray that you would bless them with spiritual ears and a heart and a mind to understand what it is you want to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen. If you remember from last week, the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit of God was going to instigate a war between all of heaven and all of hell. And there Jesus in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days, in the weakest place physically that he could be, the enemy would tempt him. But Jesus would not be thwarted by the temptation of the enemy. He would purpose to do the will of God. He set an example for us that in fighting the enemy, we must use the truth of the word of God because it is in that that Jesus found victory and it is in the powerful word of God that we as well will have victory. Jesus as well there in the wilderness, he put the devil on notice that his kingdom was going down. If you remember in 1 John chapter 3, Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy and he would do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's from this place in time after the fast of 40 days, Luke would let us know something that Mark does not let us know. Would you pick it up with me in Luke chapter 4 verse 14? Luke's gospel chapter 4 verse 14 Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Maybe you'll underline that in your Bible. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding 
region. Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this same power is available for us because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus promised that he would give the Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus told the disciples in Luke 24 to go into Jerusalem and wait for the power from the Spirit. And there in Acts chapter 2, true to his word, the Spirit of God would come upon the disciples to do the work of the ministry and they would leave that upper room filled with fear and go out into their world with courage in the power of the Spirit to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Truly, we saw the evidence of the power of the Spirit in these once terrified disciples, Peter, even denying the Lord Jesus, now out in the very crowd that crucified Jesus, proclaiming the gospel. It's the evidence of the power of the Spirit in someone's life. In John chapter 3, verse 8, you'll see that verse on the screen. Jesus lets us know about the ministry of the power of the Spirit in our lives. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, Jesus says. But you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone, not just some, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We've seen the pictures of a Cat 5 hurricane hitting the coast of Florida. None of us can see the wind, but we can see the impact of the wind in the state of Florida. Spirit of God is the same way. We can see the impact of the wind, but we cannot see the Spirit of God. We can see the impact of the Spirit in your life. We can see when you are operating in the power of the Spirit, but we cannot see the Spirit. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. So Mark, Mark is going to use the life of Jesus now to show us what it looks like when the power of the Holy Spirit is in operation in your life. So let's pick it up in Mark chapter 1 and see how the Spirit of God, what He looks like when He is in power on someone and their life. Jesus will be our example. Let's review a little bit and look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Uh, Maybe you'll underline that in your Bible. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to him, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he'd gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and he saw, uh, uh, excuse me, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Remember, Jesus has gone out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see what the power of the Holy Spirit looks like in someone's life. And if the power of the Holy Spirit is in your life, maybe you'll take note, you will be fulfilling the Great Commission just like Jesus. You'll be fulfilling the Great Commission. You know the Great Commission. Preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
You know the Great Commission. Go into the world and make disciples. Well, Jesus, he let the disciples know that the Spirit of God would testify and glorify him. Now, keep that in mind. In describing who the Spirit of God is to the disciples, he wanted them to know how the Spirit will operate in power in your life. So he told them in John 15, 26, he said this, But when the Helper, speaking of the Spirit, comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, now look carefully, he will testify of me. Then later on in chapter 16, verse 14, he says this, He will glorify me, not only testify of me, but glorify me, for he'll take of what is mine and declare it to you. So we shouldn't be surprised that if the Spirit's job is to testify and to glorify, that, Jesus, that Mark would start out showing us the power of the Spirit in Jesus' life with these two things. He's preaching the gospel, which testifies of Jesus, and he's making disciples, which glorifies Jesus. He's fulfilling the great commission of preaching the gospel. Now, let me stop there for just a minute. Preaching the gospel testifies of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. Our responsibility in the world is to be like the farmer in Matthew 13 who throws the seed of the gospel to the world. That's our job. We're responsible to take the seed of the gospel and just throw it onto the soil. We're not responsible for how people receive it. Our job is to cast the seed. Our job is to cast the seed to the world at your workplace. Our job is to cast the seed at your gym. Our job is to cast the seed wherever you are in your world. You are casting the seed of the gospel. I'll never forget, I was with a missionary friend on our way to Malawi, and while we were on our way to Malawi, the uh, the the serve, the person behind the counter at the airline gave us our ticket. When she gave us our ticket, he asked her, would you like a ticket to heaven? I know how to get you there. I know what airline and I know who the captain is. If you'd like to get there, I'll give you a ticket to heaven. She just looked at him like this. He's not responsible for how she receives it. We're just responsible to cast the seed. Fulfilling the great commission of preaching the gospel is evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Another evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit in fulfilling the Great Commission is making disciples. You see, making disciples glorifies Jesus where preaching the gospel testifies of Jesus. You see, when you make a disciple, you're making someone more like Jesus, and that glorifies him. But Jesus, he goes down to the water and he calls first Simon and Andrew. He says, come on, be in Be in relationship. Be in connection with me. I want you to follow me. Then he calls James and John. Hey, come and follow me. I want you to be with me. I want you to eat with me. I want you to stay with me. I want you to walk around with me. I want to bring you into my life. Because making disciples means bringing people into your life. You see, making a disciple is much like raising a child. 
When we raise a child, we don't let them go sleep elsewhere. We don't let them go eat elsewhere. We bring them into our life. They're born into our life, and we raise them. We teach them how to brush their teeth. We teach them the very simplicity of life, and we teach them in the complexity of life. It's the same with making a disciple. Pastor Zach has been one of my disciples for the last 11 years. I have brought him into our lives And I've brought even his wife into our lives for the last 11 years. In fact, his children, he's so in my life, his children call me Gogo. Now, I don't know if you know what that means. But in our special language, that means uncle. And that's what came out. My children called him second father. That's what they call him. In fact, my son has in his phone second father. For the last 11 years, I've been discipling him. Now, let me tell you why I realized over the course of 11 years why we're to bring people into our life. Because I've changed. Not only has Zach grown in the Lord, I've grown in the Lord. And as I've poured my life into him as a disciple of Christ, I have watched him grow and I've seen myself grow. Now, some of you might be going, well, wait a second. I don't know if I can disciple. I mean, uh, I don't know if I know enough about Jesus to, to disciple. Let me give you a special secret about discipleship. You just need to know one more thing than the person you're discipling. <laughs> and you know what discipling someone does? It makes you dig into the Word so you can stay ahead. I purpose to know just a little bit more than Zach so that I can invest into his life. And you'll know when someone is operating in the power of the Spirit because they will purpose to do what Jesus has asked them to do. And he's asked us to preach the gospel, cast that seed, and to make disciples. Take a look as we go on. We're going to see the Spirit of God working in the life of Jesus. And we're going to see what the Spirit of God looks like when he's working in the life of someone. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Stop there if you would. When the Spirit of God is operating in your life, you will operate with authority. With authority. Now, this word means having the power to do something. That's what the word means. You will have the power to do what God is asking you to do. And even in this text, we see a few things that God's asking us to do. Jesus was in Capernaum. Capernaum would become his headquarters. And we find Jesus going to synagogue on the Sabbath. This is not the only time we're going to see Jesus going to synagogue. We're going to see him all throughout the Gospel of Mark and all throughout the Gospels, him on the Sabbath going to the synagogue. Now, let me tell you something about the synagogue at the time. It was filled with people. And people are problems. That's why I don't go to that church because she goes there. And that's why I don't go to that church, because they did that. And I don't go to church anymore. In fact, I met someone the other day, and he told me, I don't go to church. I go, why don't you go to church? Because of people. And I don't need to go to church, because if I go to church, I mean, church is organized religion. I mean, they've got pews. You know why they got to call them pews? Because it's pewy in church. This is what he's saying to me. Well, I need to tell you something about the church. 
And I'm going to use my wife as an example. If you don't like my wife, I'm not inviting you to my house for dinner. It'd be awkward. It's like, why would I have you over my house and you don't like Andrea? Can I remind you that the church is the bride of Christ? And if you say you don't like church, you're saying you don't like Jesus' bride. And if you tell me that you don't like my wife, guess what? You ain't my friend. And what I'm trying to get across is the truth of Jesus' life. Despite how bad the synagogue must have been at this time, he found himself just like you going to church week after week after week. And from his life, the writer of Hebrews would say, do not neglect gathering yourselves together as some of you will be in the habit of doing. Going to church is a spiritual thing that God has asked us to do. And you'll know that someone's operating the spirit because they'll want to go to church. That's why you're here. But when Jesus went to church, he taught with authority. Let me tell you about the way the Spirit works. The Spirit always works with the Word and His work. He never does the work without the Word, and He never does the Word without the work. The two of them go hand in hand together. That's just the way the Spirit works. And when Jesus got up to preach, the Bible says they were astonished. Now, let me describe that word for you in the Greek. Wow. Wow! But I need to remind you of something. Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus? There was nothing to attract you to him. So when Jesus went behind the pulpit, he wasn't this big, beefy, bulked guy and had hair like Fabio flowing. <laughs> And spoke like James Earl Jones. Turn in your Bible as we talk about God. Now, I don't know why God is always British in these movies. But the Bible says there was nothing to attract you to him. But when the people heard him speak. So just imagine he's getting up. Who is this guy? It's Mary's son. You remember? Oh, gosh, here he comes. He's going to look at him. He's not even good looking. (laughs) You would think that Mary and Joseph could have done a little bit better than Jesus. I mean, come on. And when he got up, they went, wow. Because when the Spirit of God is moving, you can't explain it. You can't explain it. You, you, You just live in the wow. And wherever the Spirit of God is moving, I need to let you know something. Wherever there's a work of God, there will be a work of the enemy. And that's exactly what happens as the people are going, whoa, I can't believe this. Who is this? Look at these words. Now take a look what happens. Verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. He's demon-possessed. The devil shows up. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we done? What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There's not an atheist among the devils. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet 
come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Can I tell you something? The devil wears Prada. So I debated and debated about saying it, and I just decided to go for it. Now, if you're wearing Prada, we don't think you're the devil. Now, your husband might for how much you spent to wear that. But do you know that not only does the devil wear Prada, the devil goes to church? The devil goes to church. And I need to let you know something. Demons are real. The Bible acknowledges that demons are real, but I need to tell you something else that's true. We have authority over them. We have authority over them. And this demon's nervous. You see, Jesus had just come from Nazareth. And there in the synagogue in Nazareth, he preached a sermon that I believe he's preaching here in Galilee. And he preaches a sermon in Capernaum in Gal- in, excuse me, he preaches a sermon in Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel and to set captives free. And I'm sure Jesus, sanctified guests, he took a look at the guy that was held captive by demons and he let those demons know, I'm here to set that man free. So the demons, they shout out, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus? They're basically saying to Jesus, we're not bothering you. Don't bother us. But let me tell you something about Jesus. He came to set captives free. And the very fact that you have possessed this man, you're bothering me and I'm going to deal with you. And he looks at the demons and he says, get out. Be quiet. Get out of him. Because Jesus doesn't want any promotion from the enemy. And he looked at him and he says, now I want you to see what the devil does. The devil, he does the thing because the devil loves a big show. That's all he is. He's just a show. He's an actor. He's fake. He's like a lion, but he's really just a little kitty cat, okay? And so what he does, because he doesn't have any power against Jesus, he likes to present the show to make us all afraid. But I want you to see Jesus. Because the spirit is humble and the spirit is gentle. All Jesus does is go, be quiet, get out. Because Jesus doesn't need a show. He's all power. He's all power. And we've got to be careful because sometimes we like to go to spiritual warfare and we've got to rebuke the demon out of the closet and rebuke the demon out of the drawer and rebuke the demon out of the this and rebuke the demon out of the that. And we like the show. That's what the devil likes. He's all into the show. I'll never forget. I went years ago with a friend of mine, Jamaican gal. She was on my swim team, and her sister was sick, so we went to a healing service. The guy who was the healer, he wound up his hand, and he said all the abracadabra, hookah, loca that he could think of, and he hit the person on the head, and the person fell down and was shaking uncontrollably like this. And I thought to myself, I thought the fruit of the Spirit was self-control. Why would your body lose control when the spirit is one of self-control? He starts going down the line. He's winding up his hand. He hits another person. The person falls down. Shake like this. Gets to my friend. He winds up. And he goes, abracadabra, hocus, whatever he was saying, I don't know. Big old show. And he hit my friend. And my friend went, hmm? 
So he's like, oh, we got a little demon here. Well, he started hubber, kadabra, hokapoka, whatever he was doing, and hit her again. And she went, mm. So he was like, oh, we got a good one here tonight, people. And he went to hit her. My friend grabbed his hand and said, Bala, you hit me again and I'll box you down. He went, next. (laughs) The devil likes a show. Jesus operates in power. And I want you to see the power that was unleashed. A cat five hurricane was unleashed in the synagogue that day. And I want you to see the result of the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you look at verse 27? Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. People were amazed and astonished because one man's life was changed. Do you realize here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, we get to see a movement of the powerful Spirit of God each and every Sunday? When someone comes forward and says, I want my life changed, the Spirit of God has like a rushing wind moved into their heart and life, got them. Do you know how scary it is to get up out of your seat and to walk in front of all of you? That's the Spirit of God. And then just this past Saturday... I got to baptize some of those people and to hear the story of once I was blind, but now I see the power of the Spirit of God is moving in Calvary Chapel, South Bay. And we need to be amazed and we need to be astonished at the miracle of what God is doing with the rushing wind of the Spirit. That's the authority. Take a look if you would. We'll pick it up in Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's wife's mother, that means Simon was married, and I'm sorry if you believe he was the first pope, but he was married. Simon's wife's mother lay sick with fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick, And those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. If you're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be fanning the flame of your gifts. Jesus is fanning the flame of his gifts with the opportunities that are being provided. If you're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be fanning the flame of your gifts. Each one of you have a gift. Each one of you have a ministry. The question is, are you fanning the flame of that gift? Now, I understand if you're not. Let me explain. Timothy, he was serving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength in 1 Timothy. But then Paul writes a letter to him, 2 Timothy, many years later after him being in the ministry. Something had changed in Timothy. No longer was he courageous in doing whatever Paul asked him. Something happened to Timothy where now he's timid. He's shy. He's a little nervous. 
So Paul writes him a letter and he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, you'll see it on the screen, he says this, Therefore I remind you, Timothy, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then he would say this to Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, he would say this in chapter 1, verse 7. For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. I want to tell you a story because I understand this. My son, Timon, prior to the age of around seven, eight years old, was my most fearless child. And let me tell you why. He's the youngest. And so he would do everything to keep up with the older boys. If the older boys jumped a 20-foot cliff, he jumped a 20-foot cliff. If the older, whatever the boys did, he had to do, and he had to do it better, and he wanted everyone to know that he was stronger, that he was fitter, even though he was the youngest, don't underestimate Timon. And then we put him in jiu-jitsu. Well, jiu-jitsu ended, and I'll tell you how. He was wrestling with a friend, jiu-jitsu, and, well, the next thing that happened, sorry if you just ate, he carried his big toe into the emergency room. Ripped it right off. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> he's sitting, the, the kid is so fearless, he's literally holding his toe, not crying, in the emergency room, waiting for them. And I walked up to the nurse and I go, do you guys know the toe is in the napkin? Like this, and the kid's not crying. And I know you guys are going, wait, what are you doing with this story? Because I'm really gross right now. No, <laughs> let, me t- let me finish. The next year, he went in skate camp. Just the next year, toe would just heal. We call the toe Franken-toe, okay? It's back on, okay? It's Franken-toe. The next year, we put him in skate park, in a skate camp. He goes down the half pipe on the first day and breaks his arm. Literally, his arm looks like this. I pick him up. He's not crying. I pick him up. He's not crying. And I go, son, what did you do? He goes, this is your fault. You told me to go down the half pipe. I go, how is this my fault? You told me, so I did it. This is timing. After that heals, third year, he's wrestling with a friend and breaks his femur. Something happened with my child, just like what happened with Timothy. He went from this fearless kid to fearful. Timothy had been in ministry for several years, and his first year in ministry, the church came against him. It was hard. Second year, someone said something about him. It was hard. Third year, the enemy just came against him. And by the time he's in the second letter, he's like, I don't know if I'm into this whole ministry thing. I mean, I'm going to kind of just be in the background. So when we moved to California, Timon, who is a surfer, would not go in the water because he didn't want to get swallowed by a great white shark. I understand that. So I put him in junior lifeguards. And before I did that, we memorize 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And we meditated and we marinated in that verse for one solid year. And when he was in junior lifeguards, they had to swim all the way around Huntington Beach Pier. He didn't want to do it. And I said, son, God's not giving you a spirit of fear. He swam all the way around that pier. He came back, came on that beach, came home that day and said, dad, I'm not afraid. The word and the work of the Holy Spirit took my son from fearful to fearless. And now there's nothing he won't do. I'm almost like, okay, son, relax just a little bit, right? God has given you a spirit of common sense, all right? (laughs) 
Now listen, Jesus was operating in his gifts. He had the gift of teaching. So in the synagogue that day, he was fanning the flame of his gift. He was teaching. Even when the demon attacked him, he continued to teach. He just said, be quiet, come out, and he's kept on going. Now he crosses the street, and if you go with us to Israel, all you'll do is go from the synagogue of Capernaum right across the street to Peter's house, and when he gets to Peter's house, the mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus says, ah, you guys, it's been a rough day of teaching. I had a whole demon come against me. God bless you guys. We'll see you in the morning. She can make it till the morning. I'm sure she'll be all right. No, that's not what happened. Not only did he heal Peter's mother-in-law, the entire town comes And he's laying hands on people through the night. Revival broke out in Capernaum because Jesus is fanning the flame of his gift. You see, those operating in the power of the Spirit will fan the flame of their gift. They will realize that ministry is not from nine to five. Whatever God the Father puts in front of you and given you the gift to be able to do it, fan the flame of that gift and watch God's Spirit move through you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. Amen? You see, those operating in the power of the Holy Spirit will fan the flame of their gifts. Now take a look in verse 35, now in the morning. Having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, I read it that way because the Greek gives us a tone in the text. But he said to him, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose, keyword, I've come forth. He was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. You see, someone who is operating in the power of the Holy Spirit will remain in constant contact with the source of their power, the Holy Spirit. Someone who is operating in the power of the Holy Spirit will remain in constant contact with the source. Now, you would think, after a long night of ministry... Jesus would have decided to sleep in. It's like, I was working all night. Like, I mean, I was laying hands on people. They had malaria. They had leprosy. They had this. They had that. And it's like, went until like midnight, one o'clock in the morning, but not Jesus. He woke up long before the sun rose. Now, if Jesus is the way, I have a question for us. If Jesus is the way, how many, now don't raise your hands. How many of you woke up at 4 a.m. this morning, long before the sun rose, and you were in prayer talking to Jesus? I was. 4 a.m. Dear Jesus, I want to thank you for the day. And then I woke up at 5. Oh, praise the Lord. I've been praying for an hour. Father, I just want to thank you for the And then I woke up at six. Well, praise the Lord. I've been in prayer for two hours. (laughs) How many have ever done it? I want to see, raise your hand. How many ever fallen asleep while you prayed? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Be honest. Raise your hand. Anyone over here? Anyone over here? (laughs) Yeah. Yep, me. I'm with you. I understand. I fell asleep in prayer. How many have done that? The disciples did it, right? How long must I bear with you, Jesus? I, I just asked you to watch and pray with me for an hour. But Jesus knew something. If I want to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, I've got to be connected to the source. 
And so he woke up early in the morning because he knew there was another full day of ministry for him. But Peter's upset. Revival has broken out in Capernaum. And he's got all these people at his house who are just waiting for Jesus. So what he did was he lined up all the lepers. Okay, you're in this line. All the blind people, you're in this line. All the deaf people, you're in this line. All the lame people, you're in this line. When Jesus comes, he's going to hit you on the head just like this. And we're just going to keep coming down line by line. And I'm going to organize this whole spiritual movement because I'm going to watch what God's going to do through what I can offer him. I'm sure he was very surprised when he showed up on the scene and found Jesus and said, everyone is looking for you. In other words, do you realize what I've got going on at my house right now? You've got to get there. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, I'm not going back to the house. I'm going to another town because I'm going to move with the wind of the spirit. And I'm not going to perfect in the flesh what God started in his spirit. And I know you've got a whole ministry plan. People come to me all the time and says, what's your ministry plan? I don't have one. Would you prefer that I'm on my knees in prayer asking the Spirit of God what he wants to do with this church? Or would you like me to go look at another church and see what they're doing and bring their model here? Why would I bring what the Spirit is doing at another church here to our church when I can depend on the same Spirit of God to do a movement of the Spirit at Calvary Chapel Southwood? And so Jesus says to Peter, I don't know what you've got planned, but I'm going to another town and I've got a purpose that my God has given me. I'm connected to the source. I'm not connected to a religious routine. And I am going to go with the wind and the wave of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we're connected to the source, our purpose and our power will be found when we're in constant contact with the source of our power. He is the Holy Spirit, and he wants to be contacted and connected by you. In fact, when the disciples were looking at Jesus, and they were seeing all the work that he was doing in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they saw how much he prayed, they said to him in Luke chapter 11, teach us how to pray. In other words, we want to do what you're doing. So however you're contacted, let us know because we want to do it that way. So Jesus tells them a story and he ends the story and he says this, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will God give you the Holy Spirit when you ask him? We need to be asking for the power of the Spirit. Now let's close here in Mark chapter 1. And let's see this powerful truth about someone who's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, now a leper. Now, this word now is like surprise, and you're going to understand that in just a moment. It's like surprise, a leper showed up. Now, a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, maybe you'll underline this, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest. Now keep that in mind, and offer your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them, the priest. 
However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Church, if you are operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be moved by compassion, not by compulsion. You will be moved by compassion, not by compulsion. Now, I need to stop for a moment and explain this is a powerful moment. Powerful. Lepers in the first century did not approach anyone. In fact, since the Old Testament, they were outcasts. The law demanded that they lived outside the camp and that they wore a sign that said, I'm unclean. The Sanhedrin, when they would go into any village or into Jerusalem, they would have rocks in their hands and they were legally allowed to throw rocks at the lepers so that the lepers would not come near them. They were so holy that if a leper came up to them, they would be considered unclean. Lepers did not approach anyone. What was it about Jesus except his display of compassion that this leper felt, not only can I approach you, but I believe you can heal me. Something compassionate must have been about Jesus where this leper of society, this man that could not approach anyone, felt that he could come to Jesus. Now let me explain. Leprosy in the Bible is a type of of sin. It's a representation of sin. It's a spiritual representation of sin. And I want you to see what Jesus does to this sinner, to this man with leprosy. I want you to see what he does. He reaches out his hand and touches him. Now you might go, oh, that's so sweet. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were freaking out. Don't touch the leper. Jesus reaching out. I can just hear the tension. He's reaching out to touch the leper. And Peter's going, don't do it. If you do it, you're unclean. We can't go to Jerusalem. I can't go to Jerusalem. You be a good Jew, Jesus. Be a good Jew. Don't touch the leper. I get it. I was in India. India. And I went to a leper colony. I was given a pair of shoes. And I was asked to put these shoes on an older gentleman. When I went down, and I want you to hear the shame in my voice. When I went down on my knees to put the shoes on him, his feet were so filled with sores, it made me sick to my stomach, the smell. Most of his toes were gone. And I embarrassingly tell you, I hesitated. I didn't want to put the shoes on his feet. I didn't want to touch him. Now, I was coming up with all kinds of excuses in my mind. Well, maybe I don't want to, you know, it's infected. Maybe I'll go wash my hands. Like, I was coming up with all these like, sanitary, hygienic reasons why I shouldn't touch him. But I was really just trying to justify my sin. And the Spirit used this story that Jesus reached out and touched the leper and spoke to my heart. 
And though I was hesitant, I picked up his feet and I put the shoes on his feet. Now I'm embarrassed to tell you because I know where my heart was. I understand why Peter, James, and John, and Andrew would be like, don't touch him. He's wearing a sign that said, unclean. But Jesus didn't care about protocol, religion, culture, context. He cared about this man. And he was moved with compassion for this man. And where the disciples are probably in this place of worry, Jesus is in this place of reaching out because he was moved with compassion. And those who operate in the Spirit will always be moved with compassion. The evidence of the Spirit moving through us will be the love that we display. We'll be known by our love. Can you imagine if the people getting ready to go to the Philippines on Tuesday... On day three, one of them gets mad and they don't want to be there anymore, but they're there serving Jesus. Oh, I'm here serving Jesus. Here's your t-shirt. Come back tomorrow. Well, you want some bread? Here it is. You want some rice? There it is. You want some balut? There it is. In fact, take your balut and throw it across the way. Well, I'm here serving Jesus. Let me tell you, the Bible says this. You can have the faith to move mountains, but if you have not love, it profits you nada, nothing. Jesus was moved with compassion. And this man with leprosy needed Jesus. Jesus knew he needed him. He said, I'm willing. But it wasn't just for this man. He told him, I want you to go and show the priest. Now that's important. Because Jesus wasn't reaching out with compassion just to this man. He was reaching out to compassion to his enemy. You see, the priests were not responsible to heal leprosy. They were simply responsible to inspect as to whether someone had leprosy or not. And everyone knew that this man had leprosy. So Jesus wasn't telling him not to tell anyone, like, hey, don't let anyone know. He just wanted to be able to continue in ministry. This man, he was told to go to the priest because Jesus was reaching out with compassion to the priest to testify to them that he's the compassionate God. And the priest had kicked him out of Jerusalem. That's why he was in Galilee. They had already become his enemy. But Jesus was letting his enemy know, I'm the compassionate God because only God can heal leprosy. And I've sent this man with leprosy to show you, I love you too. Someone who operates in the power of the Spirit will always be moved with compassion. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we do come before you and we're asking now for the power of your Holy Spirit to move in this place. We want to be wowed with a changed life. And so Christian, right now I'm going to ask you to be in prayer because I believe the Spirit of God wants to move in someone's life with a miracle today. Just like in all of our services, maybe you realize you're the man with leprosy. The Spirit of God has been quenched in your life. You're not operating in the power of the Spirit. You see, this leprous man, he believed. He said, if you are willing, 
you can make me clean. He was a believer. He believed that God could do something. But sin, this leprosy, it kept him from moving forward. And when he publicly reached out to Jesus, Jesus publicly reached out his hand and healed him. And I believe that God wants to do that for some one person in this auditorium today. So Pastor Pat is going to join me here at the pulpit. Gannon's going to lead us in a song. And if the Spirit is moving in power in your life, now you'll know, and I've told you before, it is not the tacos you ate last night. The Spirit of God is moving within you and drawing you to Himself. Because He wants Jesus to touch you and to deal with that sin in your life, to deal with that thing that's blocking you from allowing the powerful Holy Spirit to be moving through you. If that's you today, every Christian in here, we're going to be praying with you and for you, and you know that you need the miracle of the life of Jesus touching your life to turn your life around. You get up out of your seat, and you publicly come just like this man with leprosy, and you give your life to the Lord. Christians all in this place will applaud your decision. We're with you and for you. So as Gannon sings this song, as we are in prayer, you get up out of your seat, you come forward, and you make a declaration, I'm changing my life today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.